Let us now open our Bibles to Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 50. We will read verses 5 through 9. It has been my habit over the years to use the authorized version in the Good Friday service and on Christmas Eve. But you will have no problem with whatever translation is before you as long as it is a sound one. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, quiet our hearts. The heart is the issue. Help our hearts to be drawn out to Jesus Christ who died for us. Help us to remember. Help us to think upon, to dwell upon the great truth of the atonement. Unpack for us through the work of the Spirit of God the meaning of this passage so that it may pierce our souls and so that we may rely ever more fully upon the atoning work of our Savior. And may the people of God grow in grace as we together peer into sacred Scripture. And may those, Heavenly Father, who are lost among us come to know Christ in this Good Friday service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you take your copy of God's Word and stand? Isaiah chapter 50, verses 5 through 9. This is the Word of God. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they shall all wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. People of God, there is something deeply awry in the heart of a Christian when he cannot benefit from contemplating the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings of Christ should remind us of our great need. The sufferings of Christ should draw us out to him in love and the sense of great mercy that has been displayed to us in his atoning work. The cross of Christ and its contemplation should lead us to deeper faith and to more zeal in his service and to ongoing repentance and faith. Well, here in the verses we have read, this indeed is sacred ground. This is the third of the four servant songs of Isaiah in which he prophesies the exile. God did not invite divorce with Israel. They will receive what they deserve in exile due to their sin. Verse 1, thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, 
and your transgressions is your mother's put away. And so we read in this passage of this great sin of rebellion against the Lord. But it also comes in a context in which we are reminded of the great power of God to save us from our awful sins. He reminds them that he lacks no power. He points to the distant future in which he will redeem them through the suffering servant of Jehovah. He will redeem them through the suffering servant who would die for their sins. And so the encouragement that he gives to them is to look way into the distance. Look to the one who is coming. He will show my might. He will demonstrate my power. It is through him that you will be redeemed. And so in the midst of verse 2, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? The text then says to us as well, who are sinners in need of grace, look to Christ. Every one of us should say, looking at this text, I believe that Jesus can save sinners. I believe that God lacks no power to save. I believe that no matter how great is my sin, God is able to save through Christ Jesus. I believe no matter how stubborn is my will, He can change my will. I believe no matter how infinitely glorious is God's law and how absolutely crushing is its curse upon sinners, upon those who have broken that law, that God can save through the one who bore the curse for me. I believe no matter how great is God's wrath, Jesus Christ came as a propitiatory sacrifice to remove that wrath. I believe that no matter how deep my enmity against God, the arm of the Lord is not shortened, that it cannot save, and His power and might to redeem is shown through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, people of God, open your hearts to remember Christ's suffering, that you may have a heart filled with gratitude and love and trust. Now, let's look at those sufferings in verses 5 and following. What do we learn of the sufferings of Christ from this prophetic passage? We learn, first of all, that his sufferings were obedient sufferings. We read in verse 5, The Lord hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. And the figure is an allusion to Exodus 21, in which in Exodus 21, the servant who would remain always with his master, who loved his master and would always serve him, he was taken to a doorpost and an awl was put through his ear. And through that symbol, it was said, I belong to my master and my master always. And that is the figure that is used. The Lord God hath opened mine ear. Jesus is speaking of his obedience to Jesus Christ, to the the Father, as he sacrificed himself for our sins. He did not resist his calling. He did not resist the burdens of his office. Why would God the Son the second person of the Trinity, equal with the Father, the same in substance, subordinate himself to the Father's commission? Well, the reason is because he must obey because you and I were rebels. 
He obeyed perfectly meeting the requirements of God's law for us and paid its penalty in full, for otherwise we would have been lost forever. And these words are the loving words of your Savior by prophecy. From all eternity, he entered into covenant engagements to redeem his own. It is as if in that eternal covenant, he said to the Father, yes, Father, I am the one who can obey that commission. I will obey that commission. I will keep your law. I will pay the penalty of thy people's sins. Yes, I will sign this covenant of grace with the blood-red atonement of my own shed blood. And so you see, your Redeemer was consumed with passion to redeem you, passion for the glory of God, a passionate love for you, His people, and He loves you still with infinite, eternal, unchangeable, holy passion. And what is infinite love? All I can do is to say to you, look to the cross. That is where you see infinite, passionate, godlike love. But also we learn from this text that his sufferings were voluntary sufferings. No begrudging obedience, he obeyed willingly. He willingly submitted himself to the Father's will and the hostility of men. If you compare the attitude of the Son of God, for example, with Jeremiah's complaint in Jeremiah 20, in which he completely misunderstands who he is and his calling toward God, you find none of that confusion with Jesus Christ. He had no such misunderstanding of his calling. He came willingly, knowing what he would suffer. His willingness is seen in verse 5, the Lord hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. His willingness is found in verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. His willingness is found in verse 7. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. And so you see his holy, determined, almighty patience Come what may, he set his face. Whatever we had done, he set his face. Whatever we might do, he set his face. Even through the gloom of Gethsemane, when he said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death, that did not deter him. As a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. There was no retaliation. The taunting did not deter him. When the thief said, if thou be the Christ, save thyself. No, even from eternity, he gave himself up for us voluntary sufferings. And the New Testament makes this plain over and over. In Luke 9, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, a reference to this text. Luke 12, 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. John 18, 11, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? How unlike us. Many 
men have resolved to do good and turn back because of the cost, because it involved their reputation, because it involved their sense of esteem, because it might involve loss of substance and goods, because it involved the loss of life, but Jesus Christ was willing to give up reputation, esteem, substance, and his very life for you, Christian. Jesus could have come down from the cross. He could have swept through his captors in judgment. Yes, he could have called 10,000 angels. But outward without willing obedience would not suffice. And this is too often who you and I are. But it was not our Lord. Why is this important? Voluntary suffering on our behalf. Because his real, willing, voluntary obedience constitutes my righteousness and acceptance in God's court of law. Because obedience rendered and penalty paid constitutes my only righteousness. So that Paul says in Romans 5, 18 and 19, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience, the voluntary suffering, the voluntary obedience of one shall many be made righteous." Do you pay attention to the words that we sing when we see our great, sing our great hymns of the faith? Do you pay attention to these words that we sometimes sing? The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. His obedience, voluntary suffering. But we also learn from this passage that his sufferings were shameful sufferings. Notice, for example, in verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Mocking and spitting. Luke 18, by the way, seems to refer to this very verse. Suffering a criminal's death, was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. He was mocked in all of his offices. He was mocked as a prophet. He was blindfolded. Prophesy, who is this that smote you? In his offering himself as priest, he was mocked. As king, he had a reed scepter, a crown of thorns. They bound him and knelt, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And in all of this, you see his condescension. Would you see his condescension? This is the same one who speaks in verse 3 of Isaiah 50 and says, I clothe the heavens with blackness. I make sackcloth their covering. And then you come to verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame. And what a sinful race we are. A sinful, fallen human race. And someone was right who said, the case for the total depravity of man is Jesus Christ hanging on a cross 
and all men not loving him. He's the friend of sinners. Will you spit upon your friend? Will you mock the only one who can save you? Is there someone here that refuses the gospel, the good news that is now being proclaimed that you can be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his obedience and righteousness? Do you spit and mock still? Do you join the mockers of whom we heard in John 19? But also we learn that these sufferings were tormenting sufferings. The pain is simply hinted at in verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. It's almost as if there's still a bit of a veil over the sufferings until we turn to the New Testament itself. And you know that this is simply a, a, a summary that begins with the Roman scourging, which was considered a pain that was worse than death. Go home today, read the 22nd Psalm. Read of the sufferings that were prophesied there. He bore our torment far greater than what Rome could inflict. He drank our cup of wrath, the cup that I deserve to drink down. He drank down, and he drank down completely, down to the very bitter dregs. He drank the cup of wrath. Thomas Brooks, the Puritan, said that Christ in that night suffered so many such hideous things that the whole knowledge of them is reserved only for the last day of judgment. Only then will we have some idea of the depth of his sufferings and that the soul of his sufferings were the sufferings of his soul. And he allows his own creatures to treat him so Why? Well, because we learn also, and fifthly, that these sufferings were substitutionary sufferings. Because you see, in the next servant song, in Isaiah, the end of 52 and all of 53, Isaiah 53 interprets what we are now reading in Isaiah chapter 50. That he did not die on his own account. He was wounded for our transgressions that my sin and yours deserved eternal scourging, that in our place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a savior. This you and I deserved. And if there's something in your heart that says, no, I did not, yes, you did. At the hands of absolute justice and completely pure holiness, I and you deserved this and more. No, you say, yes, and if you do not see that this is the case, then you do not yet see Christ. You do not understand Christianity. You do not grasp the gospel. And you have a false hope because you are outside of Christ. Christ bore the infinite punishment of hell for his people. He paid the infinite penalty for his people's sins. As Brooks the Puritan said, infinite satisfaction in a finite time. Now this is grace. This is grace. Sheer, undeserved grace. Grace to those those fallen in Adam. To a Peter who denied him. 
to many in the crowd who cried, crucify him. And oh, you, you are standing on holy ground in this passage. Because by nature, you and I think, do and live. But what could we do to atone for our sins in the presence of a holy God? He did this for me, and he did it for the magnification of the glory of God and the salvation of sinners. But also we learn one other thing about the sufferings of Christ from these few verses. We learn that his sufferings were victorious sufferings. For we read in verses 8 and 9, He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. He did not turn aside because he was conscious of the Father's help. Because he was aware of his guiltlessness. Because the guiltless one bore our guilt, we can affirm these very words for ourselves. Did you not notice? Who is he that shall condemn me? These are the very words that Paul takes up in Romans chapter 8. Because he was condemned and yet vindicated of the Spirit, justified of the Spirit, you and I can now cry out, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, for he bore my condemnation and wrath. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you are an unbeliever here today, did you hear those words? The wages of sin is death, eternal death. It is hell, but the free gift of God proclaimed in the gospel to you this morning is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, which he earned and you and I cannot. And so, in conclusion, believer, on this Good Friday, in view of the cross, we sometimes sing, Here, Lord, I give myself away, tis all that I can do. It's very true, isn't it? You can't add to the atonement. You cannot save yourself. You cannot add any merit. All you can do is say, Lord, I believe and I des desire to serve. My sin was the scourge. My sin was the crown of thorns. My sin was the nails. My sin, the spear. He did this for me. And I want to be a better servant and a better son or daughter for him. Because you see, obedience stems. Are you having a hard time with obedience? And contemplated love because obedience stems from a principle of love. A child might obey outwardly and not obey within his heart until he begins to realize how much his father and mother love him. And it's the same with the child of God. 
Spurgeon somewhere said, I never feel so ardent for his cause as when I have been baptized afresh into his, into his agonies. So are you drawn to these truths? Will you linger on these truths? Will you not allow this to be a fleeting moment, but a lifetime of meditation for you? Do you delight in these things? These are the truths that transform hearts. These are the truths that transform homes. These are the truths that transform relationships. These are the truths that transform churches. These are the truths that transform sinners because behind them is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And there is hope nowhere else and in no one else. So learn to meditate here, to delight here, rather than the cheap and ugly things the world system is offering, this system which is passing away. Because as I said last Sunday, the devil only pays in counterfeit. So unbeliever, let me say to you, you have no sense of the enormity of your sin. You cannot until the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of God, opens your heart to these truths. By nature, your mind is not here, your heart is not here, you feel full and rich with what the world has to offer. We are proud by nature in our autonomy, we want to be laws unto ourselves, but let me be earnest for your soul. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to face the holy God? With where your heart is now fixed, can you say, I can stand in the presence of a holy God and give an account? The call of the gospel is an immediate call. It calls you to immediate conversion. Come to Christ because he is worthy. Come to Christ because this is your need. And it is my prayer and has been ever since we have been preparing for this service that the Lord would use the gospel call that the Spirit of God would make that effectual in someone's heart. See the necessity of a crucified Savior. And so, people of God, we have quietly meditated upon these truths. Is not Christ dear to us when we view his sufferings and when each of us is able to say, he loved me and gave himself for me? Doesn't, doesn't it make your heart sing, crown him with many crowns? Crown the lamb upon his throne? Crown him Lord of all. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Let us pray together. Almighty God and our Father in heaven, we ask in the name of Christ our Savior and Lord, that on this Good Friday there might be good done to our souls. For that which makes Good Friday good is that the Good Shepherd gave his life for his people and shed his blood to redeem us. Grip our souls by this truth and this reality. Help us not for a moment to live for self, but help us to live for the one who loved us and gave himself for us on the cross and who died to redeem us. And Father, save the lost, the backsliding, 
each of us needy sinners here this morning. And with heart and soul, we now together pray that prayer which our Savior taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.